Hey, man, please have a seat. What a great morning, huh? What, a, what an amazing morning. Um, I'm going to do my best not to mess it up. Uh, Galatians chapter 4. We're not going to um, spend a ton of time. Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. The reality is, is that um, the message of Galatians 4 has already been preached to you in song. And a beautiful thing is this, when our music, what we want is we want music that is done during our service, that yeah, it helps the message preached and all that good stuff, but actually it should be filled with lyrics that when we leave, we, we, we could have not heard the preaching of the gospel from me when we don't, I mean, I'm supposed to do this, my job, but we should be able to walk out of here with the lyrics of the music we've sung and get the whole picture of the gospel. And today we have and today, we have, and today it has done an amazing job leading us to where we're going in Galatians chapter 4 because that last song we just sang, and it's no surprise because Jeremy read the scripture before we sang it, that is the message of Galatians 4. We're no longer slaves. We're children of God. The passage that he read is exactly what we're going to focus on, the end of, of chapter 4 in particular. I'm going to bounce around a lot just because well, I got a, a lot of little pieces here and there, and, and, and I'm doing a little Holy Spirit editing as I stand here in front of you. My kids, I leaned over to my kids, I'm like, uh-oh, this is one of those mornings, I should just tell them to come up, do the songs again, and go home. I'm um, overwhelmed by this passage this morning. I'm overwhelmed with where it ends, and so I'm in a, in a rush to get to the end, but I don't want to skip any important parts. So let me kind of launch through this for you. What does it mean to be adopted as a child of God? What does it mean? I think this passage tells us clearly in chapter 4, verse 4, the first thing it means is this. It means to be rescued. Verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem means to release a slave by paying their full price. And so for, for each and every one of us, we were enslaved by our sin. We were captive by our sin. And when Jesus Christ came, he paid the full price that, that was demanded, and that, that was his death. And so as Jesus did that, he did it at such a time, and I love this, it talks about when the fullness of time had come, it was the, the perfect timing. And when you think about what the perfect timing was at the time of Jesus, it was, it was the perfect timing culturally. Because as you look, you, you understand they had a, uh, now this, this word ought to land interestingly, a common core that's what I thought. Um, there was a common core education that was happening at the time of Hellenism or the Greek culture. And so everybody in this time period of Jesus was saturated with the Greek culture so much so that Greek was the common language of the day. So everybody spoke the Greek language to one degree or another. And what that led to was this, an opportunity for the message of the good news to travel faster and further and broader and deeper than it ever would have before. At just the right time, Jesus Christ was born culturally at just the right time. Politically, Jesus was born. For those of you who are history buffs, you know that the time that Jesus came is, is considered, and it, the term that's used is Pax Romana. It's the peace of Rome. You go 100 years before the birth of Christ, and you are talking about a political situation that is in turmoil that makes today look like nothing. And that's saying something, isn't it? 
And there, there, there was no peace, there was no confidence, there was no security in anything, and yet when, when the Roman Empire grew and, 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 and began to take over the known world at the time, it brought with it a, a level of peace that had been unknown to the world before that moment. And so there was a, a wonderful opportunity for travel on the sea because the Roman navy was in charge and there was no fear of pirates sounds crazy, but it's true. There was little fear of being able to travel around the country because the Roman uh, army brought with it consequences should you break the law. There was Roman roads that were like none other, and it gave opportunity for the gospel to spread far and wide again. So at just the right time politically, at just the right time theologically. Christmas didn't just happen out of nowhere. It wasn't like, ta-da, I'm going to surprise everybody. There's a baby. He's born in a stable to a virgin named Mary. Ta-da. No, no, there was 350 plus prophecies about Christmas and Easter and, and all of the things that Jesus would do in his life. And so all of those things built up to that moment that Jesus came. So when the fullness of time was come, when the time was perfect, when the time was perfect for you and I. I, I we've talked about it before. None of us were in the middle of keeping the law perfectly when Jesus appeared. None of us were having the greatest day of our lives when Jesus is like, you know, now it might have turned into the greatest day of your life, but up to that point, you were probably uh, running from him. And you were completely undeserving of any grace and mercy that Jesus could pour into your life. And yet, at, at just the right time, Romans 5.8 tells us that time was while we were still sinners. The picture in my head that I cannot shake is while we stood with our fist in God's face saying, not today, I'm going to do it my way. Being practical atheists, and I heard this this week and I agree with it completely, atheists don't believe in no God, atheists believe that they are God. And that was every single one of us, whether it be in our um, deniability of religion or it might be in our own self-righteousness, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And there is an overwhelming, you know, that knot in your throat that comes when you consider the fact that even in your mama's belly, God knew you. Even when you threw your very first temper tantrum, God saw you. Even when you rebelled against your, teenage, your, your parents in your teenage years, God watched that. Even when you cursed his name and did what you wanted to, he sent his son for you. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means this beautiful thing of this. We bring nothing to the table. And yet he still took us. What does it mean to be a child of God? It doesn't just mean to be rescued. It means to be clothed, but I'm going to skip that one today, and I'm going to go to to be named. It means to be named. And this is one of the things that I think we need to understand. When you're adopted legally, one of the first things to change is your last name, right? And so as you look at, at this passage, you look at Paul pouring out his heart about what it means to be adopted. Look at chapter 3, verse 26. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. He says it again at the end in verse, chapter 4, verse 7. So you're not a slave, but you're a son. Now, come on, we understand, Frank, because the Bible is one of those old books, and so it's very chauvinistic in the way that it presents things. And so what it's saying is actually sons and daughters. No, 
That is not what it's saying. This passage is abundantly clear. You are a son of God. And now I know half of us in this room are like, oh! <laughs> Bear with me just a moment. When you change that away from sons to child or change that to sons and daughters, you empty the power of that picture. Because in this time period, it wasn't just frowned upon. It just wasn't abnormal. It was illegal for you to make your daughter an heir of your possessions. Couldn't do it. So what Paul says here in Galatians isn't just chauvinistic. It is simply countercultural. He says, what you need to understand is in Jesus Christ, everyone, I don't care if you're male or female, God looks at you and says, you're mine and you're getting it all. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, a slave or a free man. These are the, the most common divisions of people's lives at this period of time. He says, I don't care what ethnicity you are. I don't care what political party you are. I don't care what county you live in. I don't care what car you drive. I don't care if you cheer for the Falcons, even though you're heathen. I had to get it in there at least once. There you go. That's right. I saw a jersey too. I was trying not to look. It doesn't matter because those things aren't what matters. What matters most is you are his and you've got his name. That's what matters most. There's, it doesn't mean that distinctions shouldn't exist. They do exist. They should exist and they're, they're on purpose. But when it comes to our walk with Christ, when it comes to our fellowship, they don't become a barrier. One of the... Um, I'm just not okay. We're good. One of, the, one of the frustrating things, you can tell this is a freebie because I looked at the time. Um, one, of the, one of the frustrating things, and it's a pet peeve of mine, and it's one of the reasons why I celebrated what happened this past two days with the If Gathering with our, our women here in the church. Praise God how many of you got involved. It's crazy. So I'm thankful for that. And we'll definitely celebrate that even more. But one of the pet peeves that I have is that too often in churches in the past 100, 150 years, we've preached hard at the men and at the women, we've been like, oh, there you, they're there. So typically, a men's conference is, is really built around, let's just stab them in the heart as many times as we can, make them feel like miserable cusses when they go home, realize they're losers. You know, just, just tear them down, man. Tear them. Then you get to a women's conference and you get, oh, your flowers will bloom in the spring. And if you just love him, I know he's a jerk, but love him anyway. What a disgrace, because women have been called to take up their cross and follow Jesus as well. And so let's make sure that's clear. Okay, I still will preach hard at the men, and I will talk nice to the ladies, because my mama taught me right, okay? But in reality, let's not make a, a, a false dichotomy there. No, in Christ, we have the same name. What does it mean to be adopted by Jesus Christ? It means to become known not for who you are, how amazing you are, what gender you are, what nationality you are. It means to be known because of who knows you. So what does it mean to be an adopted child of God? This one's going to be way simple, and you're going to be like, that doesn't even make sense. But it's the point, to be known as his child. What does it mean to be a, a, an adopted child of God? It means to be his child, not his lackey, his kid. What we've been talking about in Galatians up to this point 
has been beautiful. We've been claiming the gospel and justification by faith, talking about how God through Jesus Christ views us in Christ's perfection as if we had never sinned because Jesus' perfection has been credited to our account, that Jesus Christ allowed us to know God through him and we celebrate his work only, not ours, but his. We celebrate the fact that our acceptance in God's eyes, that that God looking at us and actually liking us has nothing to do with what we say, what we do, what we don't do. It has everything to do with what's been done for us. And leading up to this point, it's, it's been very legal even in its, its jargon. It's very legal in the words that have been used. Justification, that's a very legal word. Redemption, even as we talked this morning, that's a very legal word. And those things are vital and important and should give you goosebumps. But it's more than just the legalese because it's relational. Verse 5, chapter 4, he says, To redeem those who are under the law so that we could receive that adoption of sons. And because you are his sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Legal, yes. I mean, we received the adoption. Adoption is a very legal term, and in the Greco-Roman world, it wasn't uncommon for a very wealthy person to adopt one of their slaves as their heirs if they didn't have any other children, so that all of their wealth and belongings would be given to that child, that that slave who would be instantly recognized by the law as an heir of that that slave owner. And, And so that wasn't too abnormal, but again, that's just legal standing. What this is talking about here is this relational standing with God has changed. So, so maybe a contrast will help. In Exodus chapter 20, you, you know the story in Exodus 20, we've actually talked about it. That's where the, the law is kind of laid out for us and we get the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter 20, one of the amazing things that happens is that Moses is talking to God and God is giving him his law. And I love the response of the people because it is, um, it's kind of funny, actually. So God comes down onto the mountain to talk with, with Moses, and it talks about thunders and lightnings, a thick cloud on the mountain, loud trumpet blast, and all the people in the camp are trembling. Moses goes up, he gets the law, he comes back down, he gives the law to the people, and then all the people, verse 18 of chapter 20, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. They stood afar off. And they said this to Moses, um, you, you speak to us lest we die. Oh, sorry, you, you speak to us and, and we'll listen, but, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Listen, listen, Moses, Moses, this is getting a little crazy. That mountain is shaking, there's smoke, there's, there's this trumpet noise, there's this rumbling, there's lightning. We don't want any part of it. Moses, you talk to God, then you come and tell us what he said. Do not do not tell us we need to talk to him because if we go talk to God, it's over. We're dead. Man, is that different than what the Galatians are being told in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. God has given us the spirit of his son right into our hearts so that we could cry out, Abba, Father. No longer do we stand at the foot of the mountain and be like, I don't want any part to do with that big mean God. No, we go right into his presence and we call him by a different name. Daddy. Think about how daddy's used in your home and maybe it can help you picture how it works with God. 
But before I do that, maybe I should deal with the elephant in the room. Not all of us get warm, fuzzy feelings when we hear the word daddy. Um, The name daddy doesn't necessarily bring peace and relief. For many sitting here, when we think of daddy, it looks more like that Exodus chapter 20 part with the lightning and thunder and smoke. And when you hear the word daddy, for many of us, it kind of throws us back on the treadmill. I'm trying to gain acceptance from a man who I can never really satisfy. I'm trying to do what I'm told so maybe he won't be angry with me this time. What you need to do is understand that because of sin, that word daddy has been perverted into that. But when God is called our daddy, it's a whole different picture. It's a faithful father. It's a forever father. It's a father who who hears us when we call. It's a father who's filled with mercy and grace. It's a father whose faithfulness is new every morning. You have been redeemed and adopted. You have shared in his name. You have a renewed relationship with him. You have a child's relationship. Now, now let's, let's remove the sin's effect on our, our child and daddy relationships so we can get a better picture of what it looks like to call God our daddy. And it looks like this. A child grabbing onto daddy's neck when they're scared. Dads, you've had that happen, right? <laughs> Your little one is like, oh, now we're both going to die. Oh. Daddy! Daddy! It's a, a child who doesn't quite understand that daddy's trying to take a nap. Runs into the room and jumps on daddy's chest while he's sleeping on the couch. Daddy! Daddy! Now, let's be honest, all of us dads in the room are not real pleased with that one. It's a Daddy, can we go outside? 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 Now, here's the crazy part. You realize that God tells us to continue to go to him like that? Now, see, earthly dad is the one whose head's about to blow off his shoulders. And it was funny, I just heard this this week, completely unrelated, but um, <laughs> you go ahead. Now, see, if I was in that situation and my kid was asking me a hundred times over if he could go outside, and I looked at him and said, go ahead, keep asking. It's a whole different feel. And God on this side going, go on, keep, keep asking. Keep asking. It's an older child who is suffering from profound heartbreak and disappointment. And for whatever reason, the dam breaks and she's just pouring her heart out to her daddy. It's the child standing at the screen door when the car pulls in. No sooner does the door close and you hear the munchkin crying, Daddy's home! 
an amazing relationship. And that's what we have in our Father. Um, we, we have a, a two-room policy in our home. I am convinced I'm the only one that follows this policy. This two-room policy, because of the way our house is laid out, is it's very long, and uh, you can see through one, two, three. There's four rooms downstairs. You can see right through. So kitchen to the, the family room, you can see. The problem is, is because of the layout of the house and, quite honestly, because of the noise of my children, you can't hear if I call from the kitchen and be like, hey, Stephanie, if she's in the living room, right? So the two-room policy that I have sought to establish for, what, the last seven months now is, listen, if they're more than a room over, don't, don't yell. Don't yell because... <laughs> I'm not lying. It happens every time. It gets louder and louder and louder. And, and, and so if Stephanie's yelling for one of the kids and I'm sitting in the kitchen with her, the only one hearing Stephanie is me. She's not even calling me, so I don't get any credit for that at all. And it's like, babe, 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 she, she, can't, she can't hear you. Meanwhile, the neighbors are coming to the door like, Amber, mom wants you. Would you please answer her? Now, now, let's be honest, it can be because of the, the way our house is set up, but I'm confident in my own life, and I'm not blaming anybody else in my family, just me. I've created this thing called selective hearing. <laughs> I'm sure there's a few other family members of mine that have as well. Because in reality, there is a priority in what I am doing for the voice of the one who's calling me. In the midst of such chaos and confusion, in a world that's doing its best to find a faster way to hell, in the midst of people crying out to God, God having the responsibility of maintaining everything that he's created, the, the sheer volume of the universe, then, then, you, then you multiply the noise of, of earth with the noise of stars and planets exploding and things just happening all over the place, and it's got to be loud, right? I mean, there's, there's a film that I will not suggest nor name by name in case you should watch it, and I don't want you to watch it, but there is a film, and some of you already know where I'm going, and you should be ashamed of yourselves. There is a film that actually pictures this in the life of a man who asks for to be God. And God basically says, it's all yours, buddy. And the noise that comes from the prayers in the earth are deafening and he can do nothing else because everybody cries out to God. Think about this for a moment. That is true. God hears every single prayer and the chaos that can occur and the, the growth of it and the noise of it. In a moment, all you need to do is say, Daddy, and you've got his attention. Daddy, and he hears you. That's what it means to be a child of God. And in a world that, that not only do we live in, but we, we virtually create uh, on our own, we, we, that, that, that tries to find that satisfaction in everyone and everything but God. We are doing ourselves a huge disservice 
We are crushing our souls. This, this relationship with our Father isn't an empty relationship. It's a relationship that fills our entire life. It's what brings us real joy and hope and confidence and courage and peace and life. It, it brings all these things, and we hear about that, and we, we, we try to recreate it by chasing after another. We try to recreate it by finding something else that will bring that satisfaction to our soul. And, and what we have done, Jeremiah 2 does a wonderful picture here. What we do is we end up creating wells, cisterns, that can never give us fresh water. So Jeremiah 2 talks about, man, what, what, what are you doing? You're, you're running away from the fountain of living life that, that continues to give fresh water and, and provide for every need that you have. It's there, it's available, it's for you. And what you've done is you've looked at that fountain of, of, of eternal life, that, that fountain of water, and you're like, you know, I'm really thirsty, so I'm going to dig in the dirt here till I find a little water at the bottom. What you've done is you have exchanged pure water for water that'll do in a pinch, and what God says is, why are you doing that? This fountain of life is available for you now. Drink from it. Bathe in it. Gargle with it. Because it's for you. And it's precious. And the end result isn't this, well, that was okay. No, no, no. The end result is like uh, uh, something you can't explain. It's not something you can put your finger on. It's something that is so overwhelming for you because when you drink from that, that, that fountain of life, what you find is this. Daddy loves you. And Daddy likes you. So may we run to that fountain together this morning. Pray with me. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that, that in the moments of our weakness, you are strong. I thank you that in this morning, we are able to, to gather and celebrate, not, not anyone or anything else, but we get to celebrate Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That we got to look at a picture of a, of a cracker and juice and just remember that Jesus shed blood and broken body was, was for me. That, God, we can celebrate the good news of answered prayer in the life of the Smiths. That we can celebrate life given back again through, through the miracle of medicine and the miracle of the working of your spirit in, in Madeline's life. We thank you that we can celebrate a relationship that, quite honestly, on earth, it, it's really kind of broken up sometimes. And yet we can celebrate a relationship with our perfect Father in heaven. God, I thank you. That, that in you we can find what it is, real soul satisfaction. May we rest and drink well from that fountain today. It's in Jesus' good and precious name I pray. Amen.